0: I
1: like the sound. I like
0: the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound.
1: I like the sound.
0: I like the sound.
1: A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. You're listening to the sound of raindrops hitting an umbrella. This is from a video posted by podcaster and friend of the show, Steph Fuccio, on her Instagram. I recommend that you check Steph's Instagram out for this reason. There's a whole bunch of other stuff like this on there. It comes up in our conversation this week. That's right, Steph Fuccio is our returning guest, and we're just going to have a nice conversation about different sounds that we like, if you don't mind. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to be talking about the art of violin making. So we've got loads of different stuff on this episode. Let's hear from Steph.
0: I love the sound of. I have so many categories. I narrowed it down to clicking, liquids, and voices.
1: <laughs> clicking, liquids, and voices. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, usually
0: not a combination of the three.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what, what kind of clicking are we talking about?
0: Uh, pens and pencils. Probably to the chagrin of people around me, I love clicky pencils, which I used to resist because I like old-fashioned pencils too, but I, there's something very satisfying about hitting it three times, hearing that clicking sound, and then having a very robust writing instrument.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: and and keyboards. I love the click of keyboards. Um, I mentioned I got a new computer recently, and it has that annoying clicking sound on it, like when you type, it does an old-fashioned typewriter sound, only... I like it and I haven't turned it off in weeks.
1: <laughs> okay, so it's an actual sound effect that you've yeah. got built in to the thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It was the default, which I imagine would really bug most people, but I I actually kind of like it. So I'm keeping it for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, I I like it because I associate it with good things. So when you when you're typing away, that means you're being productive, right? I'd rather hear that than hear the sound of me thinking about what to write. <laughs> <laughs> Say what I mean?
0: It's very, very true. yeah. and the, and when you get when I get thinking and it comes out of my fingers, like I fit, there's a certain like momentum and urgency and kind of like creative pulse, and that I think I associate with the sound, too. So it's just, yeah, it's kind of a fun sound.
1: Yeah, I do, I do like clicking pens as well. Again, I'm, I'm one of those annoying people who just, <laughs> I used to do it at school all the time when I had a pen in my hand. I used to play with the pen yep. and just sort of flick the pen up in the air. Anything apart from write with it, really.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And when I first started recording podcasts, I had uh, clicky pens around me. And as my own editor, I learned very quickly, do not bring a clicky pen to the interview have a pen with no parts that can come off or make noise because I will play with it whether I realize it or not.
1: I've, I've made the mistake whether when i first started interviewing people i realized i should just tap on the desk yes I, I, idly just tapping on the desk
0: <laughs> yep yep i've done all of these things and more yeah and i've annoyingly brought ice to the interview today i don't know if you can hear ah <laughs> I like, yes what? i can yeah i know better than this but here i am
1: <laughs> yeah well, that's a, that's a nice that uh, ice is a is a great sound actually.
0: You know, my husband uses a old-fashioned like Italian mocha pot kind of thing, and so the the coffee bubbles up into the the chamber. and I, I took a few sound videos of that happening. and that's a very cool sound because coffee's denser than water. so it's a different kind of different kind of sound. I don't know how to describe it, but it's a deeper sound. And it also kind of shoots out of the thing so you I could only take a video for a few seconds before it would come towards me. So <laughs> it's a small window of opportunity. So
1: that's a signal that it's ready. Yeah. What other things do you have on your
0: list? Voices. Voices. <laughs> voices. And it's interesting because I listened to your words episode last night, and I was trying to figure out if it was the word, the sounds of words that I like, or the actual instrument of our voices. And I think it's more, the, especially the grisly bassy sounds that we make but not necessarily the words that are attached to them and I don't know how my brain separates the two but it does I'm much more intrigued by the characteristics of the sound than what's being said
1: the musicality of the voice
0: yeah yeah i just realized that over explained some bad choices i made in my 20s but that's probably not for this podcast
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm I'm intrigued now i saw what your bad choice was
0: (laughs) well no it just very very good voices doesn't mean that they're saying the person saying doesn't necessarily good or honest or you know trustworthy things it's just oh you sound very good
1: so yeah yeah but that that's a big <laughs> part of a person's charm I think if 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 somebody's really good looking but they've got a really annoying voice then uh, and likewise if if you don't find a person physically attractive but the voice is uh, if they've got a certain way of speaking that really charms you yes,
0: absolutely, um, you know, yeah.
1: it's uh it's it's an underrated characteristic I think because I think people ha- have that tendency to go with the the vision what what they can visually see
0: Mm-hmm. in front of them
1: but actually uh, you know a, a, a big part of a person's attractiveness is the way that they sound
0: I agree I agree
1: yeah and, and it's one of those things that you 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 find yourself being attracted to a person but you can't figure out why you can't you can't put mm-hmm. your finger on what it is it, what you see in front of you is not what you would usually find attractive but it's, it's it's more the person is charming you with the way that they talk and the way that they sound
0: yeah, yeah, that's really, really true. Like, I I don't think I've ever been inspired to look up what a radio personality, radio host, what have you looks like. But for podcasters, if I'm intrigued by their voice, I will pretty instantly go try to find like a picture of them so I can match it in my head. Whether it be male or female, it's not it's not like a sexual attractiveness thingy. It's more like I want to have the full picture of who they are. And I don't know why that comes through on podcasts and not radio, because it's they're both a very, very audible audio medium. So I don't I don't know. There feels like there's something different there.
1: Yeah, well, there, there is something quite personal about podcasts, though, isn't there? So like you, you, sort of, uh, you, you feel a certain connection to that person, perhaps more than you would like a radio host, yeah. maybe. I don't know but I mean I I don't know about you but whenever Uh I've seen um whenever I've become familiar with a person's voice and I've kind of seen a picture of what they look like Mm -hmm. 99% of the time it's completely not what I thought (laughs) (laughs) you know I really didn't think that person would look like that
0: it's very very true and sometimes it's it's they're more attractive than I thought and sometimes they're just very different than I had thought (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I, quite often they're a lot older or a, a lot younger.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's complete, completely, um, completely the wrong impression given by the yeah. voice.
0: <laughs> That's too funny. That's really, really true. It's, it's rarely exactly what you think. I agree. That's so funny. How do we? So, we are, we are making assumptions about how someone looks when we listen to their voice, but where do we get those characteristics from?
1: Yeah, I guess you're just burst, basing it on your own personal experience, uh, which is limited, you know. Like, I don't know that many French people, for example. So mm-hmm. if, if, I, um, if I hear a French voice on the radio, I'll picture the French people that I know. because is <laughs> <laughs> just, so just my limited experience. Uh, you, you must look like that guy that I met once, because right? <laughs> right, you've got the right. same voice as him.
0: Yeah, unless they sound very nasally, in which case I might just automatically think they have a bigger nose than what I was thinking. But in general, I wouldn't know where to put those characteristics. Yeah, that's really true. (laughs)
1: Uh, Any particular types of voices that have appealed to you the most?
0: Yeah, I really like deeper raspy voices. If it sounds like they're about to lose their voice, I'm generally intrigued, <laughs> <laughs> like, which sounds like it would be, you know, kind of like, well, what's wrong with me? But <laughs> there's, I don't know, there's something really, it feels really honest to have someone that's almost, that's been talking so much that they sound like they're about to lose their voice. It's like, oh, they have a lot to say. I'm going to listen in. <laughs>
1: Now, as promised, we're going to talk about the art of violin making. And what I'm going to do is read out an extract from a book that I discovered called The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty by Martin Schlesk. Now, I don't really know what to say about this book. It's uh, an extraordinary thing. I do recommend that you check it out if you like the sound of this extract that I'm going to read. The whole of the book is like this, okay? So, um... I'm just going to read this, it should be (laughs) self-explanatory. The old timers knew how to find a singer. Families rooted in the tradition of violin making tell of their fathers who stood daily at the rapids of mountain rivers, listening to the logs crash into each other, as they floated through the torrents down into the valley. On colliding, some of the logs began to vibrate, to sing, to sound. In this way, the masters identified them among many of those special singers used in making their violins. Hundreds of years ago, tiny seedlings searched for water in the thin soil of the mountain forests, and over the course of time, grew into stately trees. For the violin-maker those tightly populated forests at the high altitudes are a treasure. They force the green crowns to start very high up on the tall mountain spruces, and so the trees form proud limb-free trunks that soar up over 150 feet, Their wood is superior to any other natural material for the acoustical resonating surface needed to make musical instruments. This wood that grew slowly for more than two or three hundred years has nothing in common with the ordinary fir trees growing in the lowlands. Lowland firs shoot up quickly so they have wide annual rings. The cells themselves have thick walls and short fibres so they are not resilient. Their limbs start low on the trunks. In the mild climate they grow their heavy dark wood long into autumn and the resulting high proportion of winter grain ruins the sound. The charisma of the violin, its sound, can find no substance here. With the mountain giants, it's different. These firs cast off their lower branches in the course of their slow growth. In the dark mountain forest, they stretch their green crowns of branches upwards towards the light. Their lower branches die off because their needles no longer reach the light. Even though the poor soil and the harsh climate just below the timberline pose a severe challenge for the mountain spruces, this difficult climate is a blessing for the sound. This hardship of meager soil lends them great strength. In this substance lies the sound. Any time an instrument maker goes high into the mountains in search of these singing trees, an unforgettable adventure ensues. How often have I knocked against individual trunks with the dull side of an axe, felt their resonance and listened to their sound? The heart of the violin-maker comes to life when he searches, with all his senses attuned, for the wood for his own violins. Many years ago, just after my apprenticeship at the famous violin-making school in Mittenwald, I took off with a fellow violin-maker into the Bavarian Alps. It was a cold, cloudy winter day After many hours of strenuous mountain hiking, we left the marked trail and fought through knee-deep snow to find the place about which we had heard rumours. Finally, completely exhausted, we reached that high place and we were shocked. A cliff at the timberline had been hit by a violent storm and countless enormous fir trees, some over three feet in diameter and a hundred to a hundred and thirty feet long, lay crisscrossed, uprooted and broken. It was a windfall on the steep mountainside. Just as we arrived, the cloud cover parted, and the sunlight fell on the whitest cross-sections of the split-open trunks, which lit up in front of us. The sheer quantity of the annual rings was overwhelming. Andreas and I boxed each other euphorically on the shoulders. This growth, the regularity, the fine superiority of their years. We had rarely seen such high-quality tone wood, and never in such quantity. We carefully inspected everything and then set off for home, feeling like we were flying. We leapt down the mountain like young antelopes, hoping to get to the forest service office that same evening and secure our find. When we arrived, dirty, sweaty and overjoyed, the district officer could not believe we had attempted such a climb at that time of year, but we knew other violin makers had likely heard about this windfall, so we acted quickly. We were worried that our extraordinary find would be snatched away if we waited for the snow to melt. I Like the Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. I'm the author of several books, which you should definitely investigate as soon as possible. Have a look at Stefffuccio.com for more information about Steph's work. She runs the Geopats podcast network, which features a whole bunch of high quality, and very interesting shows. For more information about me and my work, please visit frankburton.co.uk. My other podcast is called Ragbag Presents. Also available is the four-part podcast series I made with David Evar celebrating 20 years of the band Herman Dune. It's called Not On Top and it's wonderful. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Get in touch. Let us know what you like the sound of. I will see you soon.